0: Here they come!
1: And welcome to episode 81 of Effectively Speaking, the podcast that takes a look at some of the special effects sequences of film and television, be they classic, average, or duff. I'm your host, Eric Moore, and today I'm joined by Jeff McGee to discuss the Bugs attack on the compound in Starship Troopers. I'm going in. Are you there, Jeff? I, I am here, Eric. Are you there? I am here, and I've been sitting here, I've been thinking of something clever to say at the beginning, something like, uh, would you like to know Eric more? Or something like that. But then I thought, no, that would just be rubbish. So it's just a box (laughs) standard hello, okay? Hello. Hello. Right, first question today for you, Jeff. I just assumed, I just assumed that when I chose this film and this subject for this episode, that you had seen the film.
0: And that was a misapprehension on your part. I had... This is one of those films that I, I always was aware of. When it came out, it came out in, what was it, 97?
1: Something like that, yeah, 96, 97, yeah. It was
0: 97, uh, and I'll explain why I remember that in a minute. Uh, it came out in 97, I was in college, I saw the, the uh, trailers for it, and I thought, well, this just looks dumb. Because at the time, to me, the special effects looked hokey. Yeah. I wasn't making the connection that the director, Paul Verhoeven, is known for you know, satire. And so it just one that just sort of slipped through my slipped through the cracks. And ever since then, it, almost literally every friend I've had has said the same thing: "I can't believe you've never seen that. You gotta watch Starship Troopers. It's great. <laughs> it's funny. It's a satire. It do, you you can't take it seriously." I said, "Okay, I'll get around to it. I'll get around to it." And I just never got around to it. Right. And uh, so thank you for giving me an excuse slash reason to finally get around to it.
1: Yeah, I remember when it did come out. A lot of people were taking it seriously and took it as if this is a seriously intended film and not a satire. And I think, I think it's because the way it's made, it's, it's not winking at the camera at any point. Do you, uh, I mean, you could, you, you could watch that as a straightforward, you know, science fiction slash horror film and go, Oh, that was a bit dumb. But it, it's not. It, it, it is sending things up, isn't it?
0: Absolutely. I I do question whether everyone in the cast knew that, but I do I think definitely you you're absolutely right. And again, you know Paul, Paul Verhoeven, my favorite film of his is RoboCop, and I'll talk about a little later about some of my thoughts about this film compared to that one, but it's 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 definitely supposed to be a satire.
1: Yeah. Now, when I first saw it, I saw it in the cinema. Um I was hugely hugely uh underwhelmed and disappointed with it and that is because number one i didn't realize at that point that it was a satire um number two i'm a big fan of the book okay um i guess you 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 hadn't read the book before you saw the film
0: i had not and i'd always assumed that it because everyone always told me no the book it's based on is much better blah 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 and then of course I'm sure you'll talk about in a minute the fact that it wasn't originally based on the book um, but I, I did do a little bit of research before I read it about the book about some of the differences and everything and um, I'm I'm not so sure I, I'm not sure how faithful a translation of the book it really is but I feel like it sort of captured the tone of it very well
1: yeah, It has got the tone of it, yes, certainly and like the film, it is You you, you can read it one way but there's another way that you're meant to read it. A lot of people say that it's, it's right wing propaganda that, uh, Robert E. Heinlein, uh, had political leanings that way and, and, and he put it into his book, Starship Troopers. I didn't get that. When I first read it, you know, um, I just thought it was a rollicking science fiction adventure and I thought it was fantastic. And I, I, I read it at least once a year still. And I don't get it, I, I I can see where people could see that, but I don't think that I was being preached to when I read the book, I don't think I'm I'm being converted when I read the book, you know, but no, I, I love the book, I mean, I first read the book, I, I was thinking about, it's 40 years ago that I read the book it's when i was a 16 year old kid star wars had just come out and i was i was just buying up any science fiction paperback that i could to just devour science fiction devour science fiction and i was going you know to the library i was going to second hand bookshops i was going anywhere to get science fiction paperbacks okay can i just digress for one moment
0: Well, and when when you're done digressing, I have a question that'll be a bit of a digression as well, if you don't mind. So, yes, by all means. All right,
1: all right. First digression then. All right, let me take you back 40 (laughs) years, okay, to some spotty 16-year-old that's obsessed by science fiction. Okay, (laughs) I I was at college at that time. I left school and I went to college, and Fridays were always a a, a terrible time because it was just maths. All right. I was learning electronics, but on Friday it was math. So what I would do, the train would get into the town where um, I was going to college, and I would just get in the toilet and hide in the toilet and go up to London, okay, and then then get out. And I spent the day in London, in Soho, in London, okay? okay? Now, Soho in London in the 70s isn't the Soho that you have now. They've cleaned it up now. Um, for the tourists, basically, and now it's quite a nice place to go. But before they cleaned it up, it was pretty scuzzy and sleazy, okay? Sort of like
0: Times Square was in the 70s.
1: Yeah, I've read this. That Yeah, it seems very strange to think that, yeah, New York was a bit scuzzy and a bit like that, and then that was cleaned up, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, watch Taxi Driver. That is New York in the 70s.
1: I love Taxi Driver. I I adore Taxi Driver. So, So New York, it was all like that. That wasn't just like a borough of New York. It was all like that, was it? Yeah. Well, yeah. And yes,
0: yes, absolutely. I mean, right. of course, there were parts that were safer, but the part that everybody goes to now, Times Square, Manhattan was was pretty, pretty scuzzy.
1: Soho, you, you know, was exactly the same. Now you go there. Um, Soho was known mainly for two things. One, all the film uh, companies were there, the film distributors and that were still there. I mean, Disney's still there. Warner Brothers, that's still down there. You know, you go down berwick street and places like that all the film companies were there but it was the red light district as well okay so down any given street you know you had three or four porno cinemas if you watch american werewolf in london at the end where you know uh david goes into that porno cinema that was a real porno cinema you know um in piccadilly circus even somewhere as as the, the you know classic uh tourist attraction like piccadilly circus circus was surrounded by porno cinemas my point about <laughs> all this is <laughs> that um, there were a lot of live uh, nudie shows and there were lots of sex shops. Now, the sex shops, to get a license to operate, they had to uh, have a license that they were a bookshop, okay? So the sex shops had outside in boxes, just boxes and boxes of <laughs> secondhand hand novels and comics and very often at the back and that's where i used to go i used to go to these sex shops and i used to buy up all these paperbacks for you know like 10p you know each and i would go into the shops and you would have the your cliché dirty old men in their you know raincoats uh, I wasn't interested in anything that they were selling on the shelves. I just wanted these boxes of old DC comics, you know, and Robert E. Heinlein novels. So, that's where I got my very first copy of Starship Troopers from was, I'm pretty darn sure, um, some, um, yeah, <laughs> dodgy shot in Soho.
0: How? What kind of looks did they give you when you came in wanting to actually buy the books that they were quote-unquote selling?
1: Well, I didn't look at them, you know, I didn't look at <laughs> okay. anybody. I I I was looking at the at the floorboards and uh, going straight to my little box, got my stuff and went back out again. So yeah, that's where I'm pretty darn sure that's where I got my first copy from because I was buying them up just left, right and center. And as I say, that's my digression. That's where I'm pretty sure that's where I got mine from. Do you want your digression now?
0: Yes. So my question was, (laughs) you mentioned after you saw Star Wars, you were buying up all the sci-fi you could get. Were you a sci-fi fan before you saw Star Wars or was that your gateway drug?
1: Oh, no, I I was a science fiction fan in the 60s. You know, I I grew up on, you know, the Irwin Allens, you know, The Voyage to the Bottom of the Seas and Lost in Space and Star Trek and Doctor Who. And shortly before Star Wars, you had uh, Space 1999, which uh, which was the science fiction I was used to seeing on TV, but you had big-budget special effects, so I loved that. And then Star Wars came along, and it was just that, but now on a big screen with better characters and, you know... Uh, yeah. So when Star Wars came Ratchet. along, it, it 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 was ratcheted up even more my love of science fiction. You see.
0: Well, and the reason I'm asking is because I know a lot of people who that much like myself that was sort of their entryway into sci-fi. Then you really get into real sci-fi, and you realize this is a little more intellectual than mm. than than Star then the first Star Wars is on the surface at least. And so that, that's why I was curious uh, about that. So it just was it just sort of informed your love of sci-fi. Okay.
1: Yeah yeah answer my question and this novel you know has the action of Star Wars, but um unlike the film, the characters in it are very likable you 're given plenty of time to explore these characters and get to know them and understand them and it's a it's a brilliantly written book as I say it's a brilliant adventure it's got great heart in it and you know fantastic science fiction ideas and notions and everything and I I, I really do recommend it I, if you go and read it you'll see bits of the film in there you'll have elements of it but it's nothing like the film and that's what I'm saying when I first saw the film I was hugely disappointed because I loved the book so much. Um, also in the eighties, there was a board game that came out and I've still got that a starship troopers board. Oh, game, wow. you know? And uh, I've still got that. And, and, and I love the book. So, Oh, it's coming up. It's Paul Verhoeven. Um, the book is very violent. You know, you get an awful lot of violence all the way through it. So it's like, Oh, this is going to be great. But I remember when still started coming out and it's like, that's not how I uh, imagined Johnny Rico to look. And, one of the big things in the novel is, I mean, the the unit is called the mobile infantry, and they called the mobile infantry because uh, they're wearing these huge suits. Okay, not this like colonial marine ripoff that you right. got in the film, or the fremen these... from Dune. Yeah, that as well. Yeah, no, in <laughs> in in the book, they're wearing these huge, great armored suits, like suits of armor. But but it describes it in the book that that they almost look like gorillas. Um, and yeah, yeah, and they, they they dropped from orbit. You know, they have these jump packs so they can jump like like Superman when he first started. He didn't fly; he jumped, didn't he? So it's very, very right. much like that, where you would jump like a quarter of a mile, half a mile, you know, and you would have the this almost technology like, of, almost like small mech suits. Yeah, would you say? yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a. I have to try and find it and put it on Facebook. There, there was a Japanese. Animation of Starship Troopers. I think it was in the eighties, which was very faithful. They did have these ape-like uh, armored suits that they wore, and as I say, Robbie Heinlein, he he was very uh, much a visionary. Some of the things he describes in it, when they're wearing these gorilla suits, is he 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 was predicting heads-up displays. You know, each one of them had a heads-up di- display. You know, they were operating things with their chin. Um, inside the helmet, they had a little water feeder so that they could drink, you know, while they were in their suit, you know. So he was predicting an awful lot. A lot of it is wrong as well, because, you know, this novel was written in the fifties and they had this thing on their back called a Y rack because it's like a, a, a a rucksack on the back, um, in the shape of a Y and it threw grenades out left and right. It fired out of the top of the Y, if you, if you can imagine that. But they were (laughs) nuclear, they were nuclear hand grenades. You know, because the, this was written in the fifties, where yeah, nu- nuclear is big and explosive, but not much radiation. You know, it was it, it was written in that era,
0: right? Where well, we didn't quite know exactly what uh, everything was going to be with that. No, it makes makes perfect sense. So, was the book? So we talked about the, the the film is is very much a satire. Was the book written with that same sort of tone?
1: Yes, very. very like, like I say. That there's a lot of action in it but most of the book i would say more than half of the book is rico going into boot camp all his training um and it's all about the characters you get to know the characters throughout the course of the book and then you would have a campaign that they go on um and then you would come back and then you would be in training again etc cetera, etc cetera. it's radically different um the the the, the film like you say this film originally wasn't meant to be Starship Troopers. It was kind of like repurposed, wasn't it?
0: Right. I believe what was the uh, the original title was uh, what what was it? I had I had it in my notes here.
1: I haven't got it in mind, so it's up to you, Jeff.
0: Yeah, it was uh, something the the bug attack, something like that, right? Um, and, and yeah, and yeah, basically, somebody read the read the uh, read the script and said, you know. This has a lot of resemblances to Robert A. Heinlein's *Starship Troopers*. *Bug Hunt at Outpost 9 was the name of the original book or the original script, which I think is probably a more uh, accurate title for the film, anyway. But yeah, somebody said, you know, this sounds a lot like *Starship Troopers* by Robert A. Heinlein, and then they basically retrofitted the script. They went in and changed character names and added a few scenes from the book to it. So it was—it's sort of like uh, it's, it's like it's been retconned into mm-hmm. being a *Starship* into being *Starship Troopers*.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, they did. I when you know that you can understand why it is so different. If if this was a script written from the book, things would have been much much different. I mean, in the book Dizzy is a man in the book, okay? Uh in the book Johnny Rico is Filipino, okay? Um Carl, um the character Carl in the film is killed in the book. And the Michael Ironside character who's in this sequence we're going to talk about today, he's a combination of two characters in the book. He's a combination of uh, Johnny Rico's teacher called uh, Jean Dubois and Lieutenant Razak, who was the leader of the Roughnecks in the book. And they've combined the two, and that's Michael Ironside, okay? Well, Um,
0: if anybody can can play two characters at one time, it's Michael Ironside.
1: I can totally see, Michael. (laughs) If you read that book... Uh, Lieutenant Razak, yeah, that is Michael Ironside. That's how I imagine him in, in my head. We talked about this when we were, uh, on the Superman episode about when you read a book or you read a comic, you have your own, uh, mind's eye idea of what that person, you know, looks like. But Michael Ironside is a case of, yeah, yeah, I could see him. He, he could have been him easily. Yes. Nice. Yeah. Um, what else is different? Oh, yeah, I mean, in, in the book, they're not just fighting the bugs. Well, they're not called bugs uh, in the book. They're called arachnids. I'm sure this bug thing, what you said there about the original title and everything, I'm sure this is all off the back of aliens, isn't it? You know, bug attack. I mean, that's a colonial marine term, isn't it, you know? Yes. Um, but they're also fighting another race of creature called uh, the skinnies, okay? Um, which are uh, this very tall humanoid species. Uh, They were uh, allied with the arachnids, Okay, I I was flicking through the novel to uh, try and find the best description um, of the arachnids. Um, And uh, it's like, where is it? Where is it? And I'm flicking through and flicking through. Tried Googling it, it wasn't there. And then I thought, ah, that, that board game that I got in the 80s, I'm sure at the front of the rules of play, it tells you about it. And... Sure enough, it's there, all right? So here we go. Right. Are you ready, Jeff? I am ready. I'm going to do a reading, not like a Chris, you know, dramatic reading. I'm just going (laughs) to do a reading, all right? Right. Okay. So first of all, this is how Rico in the book describes that gorilla suit, all right? And and try and picture that and then try and compare it to what uh, they're all wearing in the film, all right? A suit isn't a spacesuit, although it can serve as one. A suit is not a spaceship, but it can fly a little. Suited up you look like a big steel gorilla, armed with gorilla sized weapons, but the suits are considerably stronger than a gorilla. If a mobile infantryman in a suit swapped hugs with a gorilla, the gorilla would be dead, crushed, and the man in the suit wouldn't be must. The real genius in the design is that you don't have to control the suit, you just wear it like your clothes, like skin. Even riding a bicycle demands an acquired skill, very different from walking, but a suit you just wear. Okay? Got it. So that's the suit. Now, okay, here we go, the arachnids. And again, how, difficult, how different is it to what you see in the film? Uh, they're not like us. The pseudo-arachnids aren't even like spiders. They are anthropods who happen to look like a madman's concept of a giant intelligent spider but their organisation psychological and psychological and economic is more like that of ants or termites they are communal entities the ultimate dictatorship of the hive but don't make the mistake of thinking that they act purely from instinct their actions are as intelligent as ours stupid races don't build spaceships and were much better co- coordinated it takes a minimum a minimum of a year to train a private to fight and to mesh his fighting with his mates a bug warrior is hatched able to do this so there you go so the uh,
0: the description the physical description is quite different but the uh personality wise yes it's it's very close to what we had in is, the film
1: yeah it's a, it's like yeah it is a hive uh, community but you could say you could say that about the aliens in alien and aliens couldn't you that, right. that yeah, is a, like a hive yeah. community and i'm sure just saying that now i'm sure i i read somewhere about james cameron was a fan of this book so may, maybe part of you know his concept for aliens is based on this book with where
0: is sort of one of those giants of sci-fi that i think anybody who grew up in a certain era, was probably very influenced by him, who then went on to make, you know, any sort of science fiction art of any kind. Mm. So, yeah, it wouldn't mm. surprise me at all.
1: Yeah, yeah. So there you go. That, that, that's the setup to it, all right? So. And the film
0: was released on my 21st
1: birthday. Oh, was that's it That's how really? I knew it was
0: 21 years ago. Yeah, it was 90, November 7th, 1997.
1: But you didn't go and see it on your birthday.
0: I did not go and see it on my birthday.
1: okay
0: i don't remember what i did on my 21st birthday not because i got drunk i just don't remember it's just been that long ago
1: (laughs) all right fair enough fair enough all right well let's pause for a clip and then we'll get into it okay all right
0: (laughs) warm it all up everything you've got
1: come on you hey you want to live forever So our sequence starts where the roughnecks—they've reached the base that they were sent to check on—and they find dead soldiers and bugs throughout the compound. And uh, this being a Paul Verhoeven film, um, there's no not much skimping on gore here, is there?
0: No, not at all. And that's, you know, like I said, when I, as I'm watching this, I'm reminding myself, oh yeah, this is a guy who made Robocop.
1: Hmm. Yeah. So every time I see, you know, a blasted apart limb in this sequence. I think of that time when, you know, Murphy is being tortured and he gets his hand blown off, doesn't he? Yes, yeah. You know, by a shotgun. Yes, yeah. Um, they find the hole in the ground that the bu- bugs had tunneled through to get into the compound, and there's a guy with a hole in his head sat at a desk and again it's paul verhoven so it's not just oh there's a hole in the head it's a whacking great big hole in the head and michael ironside sticks his fingers in as a, oh, as I a know. Good, oh. good route oh. around yeah <laughs> oh
0: and the the noise and everything about it the the sound is sound design in this film is phenomenal i i, I do want to say regardless of my feelings on the film itself the sound design and um the uh the production design i think is great because i think the production design of this entire uh, encampment looks it's it's very sort of um looks very modular like mm. uh, like it came out of a box and i think that's that's in keeping with the uh the aesthetic that they would be going for there
1: yeah yeah very much so um yeah <laughs> you, it is a satire First time I'm watching it, it's like, this isn't the book. This isn't the book. And some of the dialogue in this is, I mean, it is. I mean, it's sending it all up. When you've got lines like, they've sucked his brains out, you know, I mean, that is classic 50s B movie script, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it is. And that's, that's, and again, that's sort of what they were going for. I'm just, I'm not sure Casper Van Dine or Van Dyne, however you pronounce his name, I'm not sure he knew that's what they were doing. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah, he yeah, he's taking it very very seriously, isn't he?
0: Well, it's not but he's not taking it he's taking it the wrong kind of serious. Yes. <laughs> he's not overplaying the seriousness, he's trying to and I think part of it is just I don't find him interesting as an actor to begin with. So it was hard for him since he was supposed to be sort of our our audience surrogate. It, it was mm. hard for me to really get into the film from that standpoint. And mm. and so it you know I I sort of latched on to people like uh Michael Ironside and God help me, Jake Busey, uh, yeah. <laughs> to sort of, to sort because Jake Busey is awesome in this film, and uh, he's sort of channeling his dad, that same kind of crazy that his dad would bring to the same role. Yeah. Uh, so I would say it's starring Jake Busey and Jake Busey's teeth, and so I sort of have to latch to those two guys to sort of center me in the film. Okay, this is what I'm supposed to be feeling. I feel like if I had seen this, because a lot of the people I know that that love it are younger than me, so they were probably preteens or young teenage boys when they saw it. And I feel like they didn't get the satire because the first time I saw RoboCop, I didn't get the satire. I just thought this is a great action movie. Mm. And as you get older, you start appreciating it for different reasons. And I have a feeling that if I had seen this as a 9, 10, 11-year-old boy, I would have thought the, the, the action was awesome. But I still would not have been that hip to it because – I just didn't like any of the characters, and you talked about in the book how the, the characters are so much more likable, mm. and in this situation, it, I, I I didn't want Michael Ironside to die, I didn't want Jake Busey to die, I didn't want uh, uh, Dizzy to die. Dizzy mm. was my probably my favorite character in the film. Everybody else, I'm like, yeah, okay, fine, let's see what happens. <laughs>
1: You're you're left with all the wrong ones at the end of the film, aren't you? You're left with Denise Bloody Richards, <laughs> right? You know, and I, but
0: I will say I do want to give her a little bit of credit. The scene at near the beginning of the movie where she was getting sick mm. is the most convincing acting I've ever seen her do.
1: Do you think she really was sick? I mean, this is Paul Verhoeven. It, it he, he, like he might it, have it, laced something. You know, it's
0: possible. I mean, I was wondering. I was like, she, I'm, she she's not that good an actress. Is she really about to barf? I and I will say, out of, I will say out of the gate, I think Rico, I think Rico was going after the wrong person because Dizzy, uh, Dizzy would have been my preference. Oh, from the start, anyway.
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. You, you say about other people in it. Was it was it a shock to see Doogie Hauser in it?
0: It was because I nobody had ever told me. Oh yeah, NPH is in this, and then I'm looking at it and I'm thinking he looks a lot younger than he should be, and then I realized, well this is 97. Doogie Hauser yeah. was like 89, 90. So this is only a few years after that. So he's really not that old.
1: Yeah. yeah. And she still looks like
0: he's 12 years old. So it doesn't yeah, matter.
1: Yeah. Oh, I hate him. Um, the other person who's <laughs> in it that I, I really like was uh, Clancy Brown.
0: Oh, yes. How can you not love Clancy Brown? And he's another one that I, I kind of feel like he got the joke. But at the same time, he's one of those actors that can bring so much humanity to a role that even mm. if he's playing uh, a caricature, you you like him. Yeah, and you get where he's coming from, even as the uh, you know, the uh, the 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 warden in uh, Shawshank Redemption. It, it, yeah. you know, you're you're it's compelling. He he's always a compelling character.
1: Oh, I, I mean, he killed Sean Connery, didn't he, in Highlander? But I still really liked him.
0: Well, yes, and that's actually partly why I like him.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, they they also they found find a general in a locker this cowardly general and it's from him that they find out that the guy with the hole in his head he was controlled to send out a distress call and all this is one big trap
0: um, yes but i the, like the, that high mind mentality it's it was great at this point this is where i actually got interested i thought oh okay mm. this 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 could get interesting then i see where they're going with this it's a it's a trope it's something that we've seen before but it's always something that's interesting to me
1: yeah, and I'm always it, interested
0: to see how they're going to play it out. And I really liked the way they played it out later on yeah, in the film.
1: When you find out later in the film that yes, they are working to a plan, and this is similar to the book, you know, that, uh, yes, yeah, it's thousands upon thousands of, uh, bugs, but they are working to a purpose. It makes it more interesting, doesn't it?
0: Absolutely. You know, and, and it, it gives them, um, gives the, the, the roughnecks or whatever you want to call them, but it, it actually puts them in danger when you realize, okay, these, they, they're, they're not just, these bugs are not just reacting, they're actually working a plan. And yeah, that's, yeah. it's terrifying.
1: I, I, I like coming up, this bit coming up, I mean, it's, this is the point where the bugs attack. This is our special effects sequence. You've got this massive swarm of them approaching. I do like Michael Ironside's reaction to it because he's kind of like looks and he snarls and he does this thing of, he wipes his mouth with his robot hand which really wouldn't serve much of a purpose <laughs> you're not no, going to dry off cool. any spittle but it does look <laughs> cool yes but yeah yeah in they come you've got thousands upon thousands of them and you've got so much gunfire uh like you say the sound design is very good in this um the only niggle i've got with it is that is clearly a, a, a pulse rifle derivative is it not
0: Oh, absolutely. Uh all of the all of the weapons in this thing most of them look like they came out of uh, of a video game. And that's not always a bad thing, but uh yeah, th- th- they do look a little derivative and and as I said the the suits that they give them in the film make it hard for me to tell the uh make, make it hard for me to tell the marines apart from one another when they've mm-hmm. got their helmets on. And I guess that's sort of by design. I'm assuming it's sort of the filmmakers way of saying we're no different than the bugs.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I'm just thinking now. You could easily this film you could, you could substitute the mobile infantry that you got here and put Colonial Marines in. Substitute the bugs for your regular type aliens in aliens, and substitute the brain alien at the end for the queen alien. And this could queen, be yeah. another Colonial Marines story, couldn't it? Quite easily.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Except that you know it all takes place during the day. We never see an alien during the
1: day. I was going to say, my, I, <laughs> I like, I like the uniforms, I like the outfits, I like the helmets, and I like the weapons. The only failing that, that there is is that it it's in shot in such bright daylight. You know, if if this was filmed at night or or twilight or like pitch black where you've got like a filter on the light to just a, change things a bit, I think that'd be more effective. But but here they just everything's a bit too. It looks over-designed. The outfits look a bit too over-designed. Whereas with the Colonial Marines, you, you totally bought that they are beat-up Marine outfits. These guys have seen action, blah, 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 you know?
0: Well, and you also wonder why, if, if they're going to attack, why are they going to do it in broad daylight as well? Because uh, cover of night gives you a little bit of an advantage. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, when I first saw the, the trailers for this film back in 97, I thought, man, those bugs look really fake i didn't I didn't dig it at all. I thought the the c g looked awful, but now that I, when I watch it now I'm actually really impressed i I don't know if it's because I'm seeing it on a, on a smaller screen than the 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 cinema screen that I saw it on originally, but I'm actually pretty impressed with the the bugs themselves
1: They do hold up well, and I think in this initial scene where you see them, you can't really see detail you've just got a mass of moving bodies, haven't you? This right, and it bit. works. It,
0: it it's very, very World War Z zombie. Yeah, uh, and, and we see later on they actually, you know, build a, you know, they climb up a
1: wall that way as well. Yeah, and it, it it is. I mean, people have said before if you're going to CGI, you've got to base it in reality. And the way they're swarming along is if you you kick an ant's nest, the way the ants just swarm up. You don't see individual ants. You'll just see this changing mass of brownness, and that's what exactly what you get in this scene, don't you?
0: Yes. And it, and it's creepy. Uh, full disclosure: I hate insects of all time, all kinds—arachnids, uh, bugs, ants, everything. I hate them. They give me the creeps. So you give me a movie with a bunch of a, a bunch of over man-sized insects, I'm automatically just already skeeved out as it is.
1: What about watching a Bug's Life? Can you watch that?
0: I can because those bugs are cute. They have big eyes, and they're right. not slimy. So yeah. Plus, Tuck and Roll are two of my favorite yeah. characters ever created.
1: What's your stance then on uh, ladybirds or ladybugs, as they're called in America? Uh, do you mind them?
0: I don't mind them because, again, they're they're kind of cute, they're pretty, they don't they don't harm anybody. Uh, I still don't want them crawling all over me, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna run away like a like a screaming child when I see one, like I do with most other bugs.
1: Okay, fair enough. <laughs>
0: all if, right. these, if these aliens, if these aliens had looked like ladybugs, I would have been rooting for the. Uh, the for them, bugs. even more than I already
1: was. <laughs> yeah. Well, talking about ladybugs and flying ones, that's when the flying bugs arrive, and it's total chaos. I like the flying bugs. I like. I, like the... I
0: loved those. Mm. I have um, them in my notes. Oh, good, they have an air force. The wings, the the. I don't know how they did the wings, but the wings that they've got that sort of rainbowish color that yeah. as as the light is hitting them, you're seeing the you're seeing the uh, they sort of look like a prism. Yes. And I just thought, I a, I just thought they looked beautiful um i don't mind flying bugs as much because it's easier for me to get away from them uh somehow that makes sense in my head uh but the yeah these guys i i loved that design even more than i did the uh the regular
1: bugs i i'm guessing jeff seeing as you, you you haven't seen this film before and you haven't read the book does that also mean that you don't know about the animated tv show that was based on this
0: no, I didn't. Uh, and again, as soon as I mentioned I was doing it, I had a bunch of friends go, "Oh, you got to watch this, this, this animated th- thing that was done." I was Like, I really don't think I have to, but if you recommend it, I'll give it a try.
1: You should. I mean, it is very, very good. Um, it's called this Roughnecks. This is not, not the anime one. Yeah, not the
0: anime one you were talking about from eighty eight. Right? No,
1: no, 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 no. This this is a U.S. one, uh, which came out after this film first came out, and it, it's called Roughnecks: The Starship Troopers Chronicles. Oh, Chronicles and right. yeah, and it. I'm guessing it was made, you know, for children, but it's remarkably grown up, it's remarkably faithful to this film, that that as the series goes on, there are more and more nods back to the novel, so you start getting, you know, the suits start coming in and stuff like that, but it has, and this is why I'm mentioning it now, it has all these variations of the different types of bugs all the way through, so the bugs, the standard, you know, warrior bug, uh, which we've got in this scene here, are in it. You've got flying ones. You've got underwater ones. You've got the tanker bugs. You've got the brain bugs. And I, I like the way that all these bugs. You've got different casts of the bugs, which I think is a terrific idea.
0: Oh, it's it's sort of like the the Clone Wars cartoon where you saw every every iteration of a clone possible.
1: Mm, yeah, very very much like that. The only downside to that series is the animation because it's all CGI animation does look rather crude now but the characters are really, really good. Again, the characters in it are much, much better than the characters that, in this film that we're talking about today. I, I, do, I don't know if it's ever had a Blu-ray release. Um, it, it was about a six-DVD set to get the entire show, but I do recommend you pick that up, Jeff, or if it's on Netflix, have a look, because I think you would enjoy it. It looks
0: like it, you can, according to Wikipedia, which can always be believed, uh, <laughs> as of the writing of this article, you could see you could stream it on Crackle
1: here right. in the U.S. I've never so, heard of Crackle.
0: It's a, it's a it's a, weird, it's a free service, and there are, there are commercials, but the commercials are just placed sort of randomly. I was watching an episode of What's Happening one time, and it literally cut to commercial in, in mid-sentence of a character.
1: <laughs> they don't care when they do that. Do they? Yeah, they just don't care. It's, it's like
0: every, every ten minutes, regardless of where the show is. But, you know, it's <laughs> free, so you put right. up with it.
1: H- have a go, Jeff. I'm, I, th- I think you would like it. I really do.
0: Yeah, I'll check it out. Now, this is a... I'm assuming it's much better than the direct-to-DVD sequels that uh, came out for this film.
1: I was... I, I, I've never seen the second one. I did watch the third one, though, because the third one uh, does feature the uh, mobile suits, okay? bit disappointed in that they don't look much like, you know, how they are in the book, but yeah, it's not bad. The third one's not bad. It, um, yeah, it's not terrific, but it's not bad. It's got the girlie in it that was in um, Star Trek Enterprise. You know, the the uh, the girl who played um, the Vulcan science officer in, in Star yes. Trek Enterprise. Yeah. That's stranded on a planet, a desert planet. And um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, but I don't know anything about the second one. But there was a fourth one, wasn't there? Wasn't there a fourth one where I'll... Or was that the third one when Casper came back? It might have been the third one. He
0: was in Cas- Captain Marauder, was Casper Van Dien was in.
1: Yeah, no, yeah, that's the were, one, that's the third one. there were
0: 2 and 3, and then there were two animated films, Starship Troopers Invasion and Starship Troopers Traitors of Mars.
1: I've completely forgotten about that, and I've got it on DVD. The, yeah, there was an animated one, I've got it, and I've completely... Yeah, there, one came out in 2012, and one just came out last year, Traitors
0: of, Mar, of Mars came out last year.
1: I've been, I've been researching this flaming film, and we've been talking for 45 <laughs> minutes, and I've completely forgotten that on my shelf in the other room, I have got... An animated Starship Troopers film. I've completely forgotten about that. That shows you how good it is, doesn't it? That it. it must have made
0: quite an impression.
1: <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. Oh blimey! All right, okay, well, yeah. The flying bugs arrive, and yeah, it's chaos. And um, what you said there, I love the fact that the bugs are uh, getting to the top of the wall just by climbing over the bodies of their dead comrades.
0: Yeah, and it, and it's that's one of those things again. Anytime you see that, because you see it with ants again. You saw it in World War Z in the film. And uh, side story. Uh, my brother went to see World War Z. I uh, came back and I said, "How'd you like it?" He goes, oh, "It was a zombie movie." I said, "Yeah, it's it's called World War Z." Apparently, my brother doesn't know anything uh, about a movie before he goes to see it because a few weeks before that, he came back from seeing the second Hunger Games film, and I said, "What'd you like?" He goes, "Oh, it ended on a cliffhanger." I said, "Well, it's the second part of a trilogy." Oh, no, it is. is
1: it? <laughs> Did you watch the first one? Yeah, that used, to, that used to drive me up the wall when I worked at the cinema. You'd have people come in in the evening and they go. What you got that's on then? What's on? Was it what, what you got? And it's like they haven't researched it. They haven't. They, they just turn up, not knowing that happens what here watch. too.
0: I will go to the theater and somebody will walk up and go, "Okay, what do we want to see?" I'm like you, you just yeah. And I and I applaud people for saying, "Let's just go to the movies," and yeah. and being being adventurous about it and everything. I actually do applaud that. I think it's great. But yeah, my my brother, I just I had to. I've I've never let him forget that. Uh, but anyway. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there's there's my my second digression of the show uh well, but yeah it, I, but it's always creepy when you see that happening and it, it's terrifying to me yeah because there that that proves there's just there's no stopping them there's yeah. nothing you can do at this point to stop them from getting in
1: and you're not going to get mercy for, for, for from a species that's doing this uh they're not going to take prisoners are they
0: no they're not and let's let's okay so maybe you can explain something and if we're somebody's listening who hasn't seen the film the roughnecks have invaded their planet. Mm-hmm. Had the bugs attacked Earth? They had at that point. Prior to them invading,
1: they had. Yeah, because it again, this is yeah, you know, it, it it's made more obvious in the book. But yeah, the, the the bugs are sentient. They they send this asteroid. They they they, they re. Uh, or, that they change the orbit of an asteroid and get it to crash into Earth, and that's when Buenos Aires is destroyed, and and Johnny loses his mother. So yeah, this is like payback time, and yeah, that that they're after the brain bug, aren't they? That's what they're after.
0: Right. Okay. And that, so yeah. they, yeah, so they've they they've invaded this this planet to exact their revenge. Hmm. Um. And and from that standpoint, I I sort of. It softens them a little bit, but as I'm watching the film, I, you know, as you said, the uh, the book, the characters are more likable. There's there's really only one or two characters in this film that I really cared about, mm. and so I'm actually far more interested in what the bugs are going to do, and I'm sort of, I'm sort of rooting for the bugs at this point.
1: Do you think that actually harms the film? I mean, everybody, anybody who's seen Starship Troopers, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, Paul Verhoeven, and but it's not really regarded fondly. It people remember it for the special effects, they remember it for the violence, and yeah, if you get the satire bit, you remember it for that. But but it's not. I don't. I don't think it's it's thought of as fondly as many other science fiction films that were around. It- around in the 80s and 90s
0: it's it's not and and as i compare it like i i compare it to robocop a lot because they're both they both share a lot of similarities they're both you know sci-fi based they're both they're both ultra violent they're both satires Hmm. uh and the difference is the main difference is the the actors in robocop you had you had miguel ferrer you had peter weller you had um you had kurtwood smith
1: yeah, <laughs> Kurtwood
0: Smith. How great was he as, as Clarence Boddicker? You had these these phenomenal actors, and you've got some good actors in this film as well. Again, Michael Ironside is, you know, he's not an award-winning actor, but he's a, he's a good presence. He's a fun presence. He's a pro. Clancy Brown is great, doesn't get to do much. Jake Busey, again, in the right role, can be very good. Mm. Neil Patrick Harris, again, very good, but doesn't do much, but none of these characters are likable. And whereas in Robocop, you sort of relished the, the characters sort of relished their badness. Uh, mm. Boddicker and, and Miguel Ferrer's character, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, they just sort of lived into that. And they you just saw that these characters just loved their life and they loved being evil. And it made them compelling. And you mm. just don't have that here. None of these characters... No. I, I And I feel like part of me thinks that it was a choice by the director and maybe even by the screenwriters to pit human characters against bug characters and show you that these are these are both two sides of the same coin Mm -hmm. but again again it goes back to the fact that when when the when the marines are are marching into uh, marching on on the planet they're all wearing their outfits and so they all look alike and so i sort of feel like they're they're saying we're not that different and by that rationale that's interesting but it doesn't make for a doesn't make for a compelling watch because you don't really care about the human characters either
1: no i mean we keep comparing it to aliens and and you're absolutely right there you know um every time a colonial marine in aliens dies you feel it you know yes when apart from dizzy when she she she, uh buys it you don't care for anybody in this film and i only watch this film uh because it normally it's starship troopers but i watch it for the spectacle i watch it for the special effects i don't watch it for the story or the characters
0: and that's that's i will never go back to a movie that i'm just watching for the special effects no, no. Even as a kid, if I even if I had seen this as a kid, I don't think I would have been that drawn to it because the thing the thing in Star Wars that always drew me to Star Wars was not the action was not the the space battles and everything. The thing that drew me to Star Wars were the relationships between Han and Leia, Luke and Leia, Luke and Vader, hmm. R two and C three P O the characters are always what drew me to a film. And if I had seen this again, I was 21 when it came out. So I obviously would have looked at it differently than if I had seen it when I was 11. Mm. But, um, again, that's what always drew me back. Even as a kid, I saw, I saw Robocop when I was uh, 11 years old.
1: Oh my goodness. I didn't,
0: I didn't get, I, yeah, I know the violence didn't bug me because I just sort of, it just sort of washed over me. I didn't really think about it because I understood intellectually that this is not real. Um, but, uh, I, yeah, looking back on it, I'm kind of wondering what my parents were thinking letting me watch it. But, uh, you know, I appreciated it. I appreciated the humor in the, in the film and I appreciated the characters. Mm. And now that I'm older, I can appreciate the, the gruesome aspect of the effects and how well it was done and as well as the satire. It's, it's mm. hilarious. So sorry. I know I keep talking more about Robocop, but it's just that, <laughs> it's bad when you're watching one film and you keep thinking about how much better the director did what he's trying to do before. Mm. Yeah. Ten years yeah. before.
1: Yeah. All right. Okay, right. The the troops, they have to fall back because, you know, we've got the uh, the bugs coming over the wall. I, I, I was watching it, and I'm pretty darn sure all the bugs coming over the wall. This is all CGI still. Every, every bug we've seen so far uh, in this sequence is CGI. And uh, apart from a couple of very quick shots, I don't think we're going to see much in the way of Practical effect bugs in this sequence. They are throughout the film, but in this sequence, I'm pretty darn sure it's practically all CGI. I
0: think it probably has to be because of the the nature of the action that that they're yeah. being asked to perform. Um, yeah, I don't remember. I and I there were only a couple of times when I could see something and could tell that it wasn't CG. Mm. Uh, not that the CG is bad. Like I said, I think the I think the I think the computer generated effects are actually very good in this film. I was never taken out of the film because of the effects, except for. The, the outer space sequences, they just don't look real, and the, the quote-unquote dropship that they bring in, the dropship that they bring in later, looks looks less real than the bugs.
1: Well, the dropship's coming in now because, you know, they've fallen back into the compound, and um, that's when, this yeah, the dropship comes in. And we keep saying dropship, it's called a dropship, and it behaves just like the dropship in Aliens, the way it comes round, curves round, hovers, and then lands. That's exactly how the dropship uh functions in aliens doesn't it yes only it's a lot more interesting to watch in aliens it's more it's much more interesting look i mean i love i love the uh the dropship in aliens you know i love the design of it this is very boxy it's almost like a shoebox it's like a grey shoebox isn't it there's stylistically there's not much of interest in this this uh dropship
0: Well, and there's, there's not, and it matches, you know, I, you know, I mentioned that the entire base looks very modular. It looks sort of like it came out of a box, like it's a prefab. Mm. And most of the ships follow that same sort of aesthetic. It's, it's, um, very utilitarian. There's not a lot of aesthetic sensibility with it. And that's fine because I think if, if your primary purpose is, is military action, you're not going to, you're going to worry less about how something looks and more you're going to worry about function over, over form. Yes, and I don't, yeah. I don't have a problem with that, except like you said, it sort of bo- makes for a boring, makes boring it boring. <laughs>
1: yes, yeah. yeah, but it doesn't matter because you know, as boring as that dropship might be, we now have got a tanker bug coming up through the ground, and I love the tanker bug. I love the way it looks. I love the way it moves, and as it comes out from un- under the ground, Michael Ironside gets his legs chopped off.
0: Oh yes, this poor guy loses his arm and loses his legs.
1: Were you like expecting the Black Knight it? and
0: Holy Grail uh, yeah. I was not uh, I I wasn't sure if he was going to make it out there were a couple of characters I was pretty sure were going to die but he uh, and and he was one of them but I didn't expect it to happen that way
1: oh I don't know I mean just before this sequence starts you know you, you get a flying bug come down and it gets one of the, the troops and Michael Ironside puts him out of his misery doesn't he uh, with a sniper shot and he says his only reaction is uh I'd want you to do the same for me. And it's like that's kinda of like telegraphing it a little bit, yeah. isn't it?
0: Yeah, pretty much. As soon as that happens, you're like, okay, so we know how he's gonna die and then
1: Yeah, the clock is ticking there. Was... <laughs> yeah, but yeah, Rico does. He puts him out of his misery, doesn't he?
0: He does, and and it's I was sort of thankful for it what it happened because I can't imagine what kind of uh what kind of pain that would be Yeah laying there without your legs after they've just been chopped off. Oh, God.
1: I mean, I've been legless before, but that's for a completely different reason, and I don't mind... Well, (laughs) I I did mind it the next day, but not while I'm legless, I don't mind it. But, yeah, I suffer (laughs) for it the next day, but that's a different type of thing. Yeah, but uh, Dizzy gets the hero moment here. She's the one who lobs a grenade into the uh, tanker bug's mouth. And you've been saying all the way through the CGI is still... Holds up, and it does it, it it works very well still, watching it all these years later, except for when its head blows up and you get that really crappy flame effect
0: yeah the the explosions like i said anything to do with um innards is just really it's one of those things that it it probably would have been cheaper, easier, and more effective to do a practical effect mm. But they decided to go with CG because why not? While you're in there in the computer, just go ahead and give us yeah, one of these down. as well.
1: Yeah, we're at that point in CGI where it was still a problem to do flame effects and water. At this point, it was still incredibly difficult, and it shows. Yes. You know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and but... we we're
0: still so, and, and filmmakers were still so enamored of it. I think of just a, a few years after this, when uh, Spider-Man Three came out. There's a shot in Spider-Man Three where a bunch of uh, Metal poles fall down. They're at a construction site. A bunch of metal poles fall down. You can tell clearly those are computer-generated poles. It would have been easier and more effective to use real poles, but they mm. decided to go CG because, hey,
1: CG. It's the future, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, she she has her hero moment. She kills a tanker bug, but her celebration is cut short as she gets impaled by a bug.
0: Worst moment in the film.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I
0: loved this character. Did not want this character to die, but I was, you know, again, she's another one of those that I was hoping she wouldn't. But uh, y- you know, I'll be honest, I was assuming that Denise Richards' character was going to die since that's the one that uh, Casper Van Dien was so obsessed with for most of the film. Uh, but uh, when Dizzy died, I was, I, I, I was just really disappointing.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it. It's unexpected as well. You don't expect one of the. Um, we've just seen Michael Ironside die. You don't expect another one quite so soon. Uh, but uh, yeah, she gets impaled here. Yes, that that is a uh, a life size bug pincer that's been shoved through her. That's a bit of a real bug that you've got there. Yeah,
0: you don't uh, you do you don't walk away from that either. So
1: you don't. <laughs> don't. Pull the again. Yes, you've got tons of blood out of the mouth and everything when she's pulled off of the. Uh, off of the pincer and uh they get her on the ship and it takes off um the two troopers who are like struggling to get on the dropship before it takes off and they get fried by that tanker bug when they get fried did that remind you of anything
0: not off the top of my head but i'm sure as soon as you tell me what it reminded you of i'll agree
1: When the flame effect hits them and they and they put their arms up and then start falling down, I thought very much of uh, Mars Attacks, the death rays in Mars Attacks.
0: Yeah, I can see that. That's another one. I only I saw one time, but I know exactly what you're talking about. And yeah, it's uh, yeah, I can see that.
1: Yeah, it's the very dramatic hands in the air and fall down slowly while you're um, being covered in some sort of like orange lighting. I thought, oh, this is Mars Attacks, you know. So yeah, yeah.
0: It was just a year before this, I believe.
1: That's right, yes, yeah. And again CGI. So that's it. That's our sequence over. The uh the dropship uh takes off and that's our sequence over and is traditional in this uh in this show. Uh that means we go onto behind the scenes. Have you done any research for this, Jeff?
0: Uh very little, uh because uh last time I stole a lot of your thunder. But
1: uh what I did <laughs> Oh, don't worry about that. All the time you're talking, Jeff, I've got more chance to drink more beer. So I I okay. I, I wouldn't mind that at all.
0: <laughs> no, uh, the only thing that I really uh, other than the fact that uh it that I found interesting was the fact that it was not uh, originally based on the novel. Um and and I find it interesting that when the film came out, the reviews were were largely negative, but it seems like it's its esteem has been raised over the last 10 years, 10 to 15 years since it's been out as people have people who saw it when they were kids are either rediscovering it or remembering it fondly, or it's just being sort of reassessed in much the same way that RoboCop was. I think RoboCop when it first came out, if I recall correctly, not a lot was made of the satire, but as, as it's aged, it's gone. Um, it's gotten quite a bit, uh, quite a bit more, uh, esteem behind it as well. But, um, the thing that I thought was interesting was that Verhoeven never read the book and when he tried to read it, it made him, quote, bored and depressed.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's, he says it he was just... really
0: quite a bad book.
1: <clears throat> yeah, he, yeah. When, when he was given uh, this uh, project and, yeah, we're, we're switching it to Starship Troopers, yeah, he did attempt to read it and he only got a couple of chapters in and gave up. I don't see how because Robert Heinlein has a way of writing which draws you in I, I, to anybody listening, you know, if you've never read Robert Highland and you like science fiction um, that moves along at a great pace, it's not ponderous, it's not serious, it's quite light-hearted in, in some of his novels. One, one is called uh, Have space Suit Will Travel, about a boy, it's a bit like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. This is a boy who wants to go out into space and then there is a competition to win a real spacesuit a bit like you know the trip to uh, Willy Wonka's chocolate okay. factory oh. Yeah, and and he keep, he keeps writing in these postcards. I would like to win this spacesuit because oh no no I like that's right it, it it's actually still based around a bit of confectionery. You have to write in a slogan for this uh, piece bar of chocolate. I I love such and such because blah blah. And he ends up with a spacesuit, and uh, it needs a lot of work. It's an old spacesuit, and he he repairs it. He gets it all working, and he's out in the field at the back of his house one day, and a space a spaceship comes down and this space uh, uh, creature comes out, who's basically a cat, and he goes off on this huge, great adventure. Fantastic! Have spacesuit, we travel.
0: Brilliant. That sounds a lot like yeah. It sounds like Charlie in the Great Glass Elevator.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. But this was written in the fifties. But
0: this is back in the fifties. So, so... Gold Doll ripped off Robert Heinlein.
1: (laughs) You heard it here first. (laughs) Breaking news. (laughs) <laughs> Old Dolph was a hack. I'll say it. <laughs> he stole it next, all.
0: Yeah. Next you're going to tell me that uh, that Robert Heinlein wrote a book called Roger and the Gargantuan Orange.
1: Ah, I'm trying to think now. Yeah, maybe it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, There's bugs. I'm bug going to a pattern here. You, you've got uh, intelligent bugs in James and the Giant Peach, have you not? Yes, you do. Including a grasshopper that can fly. Yeah, we were, actually- I think, we're onto I think
0: something. on onto something here. <laughs> oh no!
1: Yeah. All right. Um, I I saw this on I think it was on Wikipedia or IMDb, and I don't know if this is true. I don't know if you saw this, Jeff, but apparently this sequence we've been talking about has a number of references to Zulu. Okay. Um, okay. All the lines about we're all going to die, fire at will and fall back into the compound apparently are all references to Zulu. I would have thought if you're going to use dialogue from Zulu, you know, in Zulu, there's that awful moment where a cockney goes, Zulus, thousands of them. You know, you would have expected one of the Marines there to go, Bugs, thousands of them, you know,
0: thousands
1: of them. Yeah, thousands of them. But no, no, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's true. All right. What, what, what have I got yeah, next?
0: Those are, those, are, those, are, those are inconsequential enough bits of dialogue that I don't know if it was a, an obvious or a conscious homage.
1: I don't know. So many films where, you, you know, the Alamo or whatever, you have a like, like a, a fortified position that's under attack by, you know, insurmountable odds. I don't know. I don't know. All right. Okay. Uh, it was filmed in the badlands of Hell's Half Acre in Natrona County, Wyoming. Did you know that? It-
0: I did know that, and Hell's Half Acre may be the greatest name for any plot of land ever ever conceived by man.
1: See, that is a great name, and it's like, why is it named that? And it's named that because, yeah, it gets bloody hot there, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, that's why it's called Hell's Half Acre, yes.
0: And it's, uh, it's, it, but it's actually 320 acres, so I'm wondering why it's Hell's Half Acre.
1: Ah, I did not know that. See, all that that phrase badlands of hell's half acre in natrona county Wyoming I know the word county uh in acre half of an hell's I don't know the rest of those words so you know <laughs> Bad,
0: yeah badlands is just kind of a kind of a term that they use for sort of uh wild area you know something that that's not uh, hasn't been uh hasn't been sort of untouched by man I'll say and sort of difficult to navigate
1: oh I was gonna say but Surely that's not bad. That's a good thing if man hasn't been there. But oh, oh yes, well, it has, yes. hasn't been touched by man because it's too much trouble. Is it that sort right. of thing? Sort of. Right. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. During filming, it was nearly 110 degrees when they were filming this sequence. So uh, the production team allowed the actors to remove their undersuits that they had on. They had some sort of like rubber undersuits, and they they were actually wearing black t-shirts underneath their armour during this sequence.
0: And that does not surprise me. Uh, but the thing about it, though, and you'll hear this a lot if you talk to me from Texas, 110 degrees is 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 bad, but it's not as bad if it's a dry heat, which right. is probably what they were dealing with in Wyoming. You get 110 degrees down here in Texas coupled with the humidity, and it feels like you're getting hugged to death by a sweaty, fat guy anytime you walk outside.
1: But,
0: uh, and it's just harder to move around. But uh, dehydration is a, is a much bigger problem when it's a dry heat. So yeah. I'm glad that they gave them that that uh, consideration,
1: yeah, talking about heat, I mean here in England, we're in the middle of a uh two month heat wave at the moment, okay We haven't had rain for um for two months, and, oh, wow uh, yeah, at the beginning it it was horrible because it was very humid, so you just stuck to yourself. now it's just a dry heat and uh and yeah we're looking at maybe hose pipe bands and all sorts of stuff soon because the water's running out so <laughs> we really we nearly we really do need some rain but it's not coming anytime soon so yeah we're two months into a heat wave here Ugh. speaking yeah.
0: of speaking of speaking of uh water this is apropos of sort of apropos of what you were just talking about it has nothing to do with the scene but i love that the uh the cast only agreed to do the co shower scene if verhoeven agreed to direct the scene naked
1: And he did, didn't he?
0: (laughs) He did. Of course he did.
1: I'm pretty
0: sure Paul Verhoeven is certifiably insane. uh, And that's part of why he's such a great filmmaker.
1: (laughs) He, yeah, if he's not insane, he's extremely eccentric. I was going to mention, it's not on the Blu-ray, okay? I've got the Blu-ray of this, and it's not on there. But I used to have this film on Laserdisc, okay? And one of the most entertaining bits of that was the audio commentary with paul verhoeven because at one point he says about how he was on set telling the actors what they are looking at and he will he, he would actually pull the face stick his arms up and i'm not going to try it because i don't want to blow anyone's uh, headphones but he would start screaming like mad and and he was doing that on the audio commentary. <laughs> it's incredibly entertaining. <laughs> I, I don't know if I can find it on YouTube or, two or anything, but that audio clip of Paul Verhoeven impersonating a bug is hilarious. You know? <laughs> oh, I can imagine.
0: And just, again, to bring RoboCop back into it, his audio commentary track for RoboCop that's on the Blu-ray, also wonderful.
1: Yeah, yeah, I yeah, like it. Fun, I, I like it when... Yeah. Yeah, when... when uh, commentaries are entertaining. They're brilliant. That's why I like the old John Carpenter and Kurt Russell ones because you know they just oh, have yes. a laugh. You know yes absolutely <laughs> there's nothing more um, dull than a than a dull commentary it's like what am i listening to this for you know well, now, if you, think if you ever
0: listen to one with arnold schwarzenegger he will actually start describing what's on screen what's happening on screen
1: i've i've not heard him do it but i've heard people say that's what he does yeah i tell you i tell you uh, what a lot of people don't like while we're talking audio commentaries is jj abrahams because he just says how wonderful this person is how wonderful that person is you know and it's like that becomes very tedious very quickly as well
0: yeah, it, no it, it does it very much does and uh, if you've ever listened to uh, again to digress just slightly more weird al yankovic's commentary for uhf is fascinating to listen to because anytime it cuts to a location he just pops up okay this location is this and the address of that location is and he just pops off with the address <laughs> no, number street and city and i'm just like does he have cue cards does he have post- <laughs> does he have uh, index cards i don't think he does i think that's just how much of a steel trap mind the man yeah, has? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. My, I'll go off on a digression now as well. I'll match. I'll, I'll see you your digression and and match it with my favorite <laughs> all time audio commentary on a film is uh, this is Spinal Tap because the guys on it do the audio commentary in character. In character. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like getting two rupees in one. Uh, it, it in many times it, it's funnier. You know the audio commentary. Then what's happening? I mean, it's a hilarious film. But you listen to the audio commentary of that, and and I'm almost wet myself. You know, I'm on the floor. It's so funny. Yeah, yeah. Okay.
0: one one more commentary recommendation, and then I'm done.
1: All right. Uh, Sideways
0: with Paul Giamatti and um and Thomas Hayden Church. Their commentary track is hilarious because Thomas Hayden Church spends most of the film fixating on his uh, man man boobs or his ample man cans, as he calls them. <laughs> And at one point, Paul Giamatti is trying to say something about Winnie the Pooh, and he calls him Vinnie the Pooh, and that just starts Thomas Hayden Church off. And he, they get around to calling him Vincenzo the Pooh, and all you can picture is Winnie <laughs> the Pooh with a with a fedora and a Tommy gun.
1: <laughs> oh, great stuff. Great back stuff. Back
0: to Starship Troopers. Back you mentioned to Starship one, Troopers. one thing you mentioned that uh, a lot of people feel like it's very uh, right-wing, and Paul Verhoeven, that's one of the things he didn't like about the book, is he
1: thought it was also very right-wing. Mm. yeah people have said to him you know how can you make a film like this Um, you know I mean you know famously he grew up in Holland during Nazi occupation of uh, the second world war during the second world war and people have said to him how can you make such a fascist film like this and he's like but I'm sending up the fascists I'm sending them up I'm showing you that all these people with all their technology and all their bravado can't Match, you know the bugs,
0: you know. Oh, it's it's obvious, and you know you were talking about, you know, people who don't who don't like the books and and things like that, and don't don't find all, all they see is what the the surface uh, interpretation mm. of it, and I think that's a big problem that we have is you know a lot of people lack what's called a sense of humor. Mm. Yeah, and you can absolutely you know, and, and that's why satire is hard, and that's one of the reasons I'm not a huge fan of satire because there's so much bad satire out there that is either just really obvious or so subtle that you can't even tell. Hmm. It's really and that's that's one of the reasons RoboCop works is because it's over the top and the over the top nature of it is what sells it to me as satire. Hmm. And it's really hard in this day and age to to do anything satirical because you know everything every, people just want to take everything at face value.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: And I think that's a big problem. That, that I think that's one thing that worked against this film as well. And it doesn't help that, again, I, I'm just not sure that all of the actors were in on the joke.
1: <laughs> oh, Casper, Casper, Casper. Um, this compound here, this base, uh, it, it was named after an actual fort in upstate New York, okay, that was uh, saw a bit of uh, activity in the 18th century. It was used by the British during the Seven Years' War, with the French, and then it was used again by the Americans during the American Revolution War against the British. So, that's what it's named after, okay?
0: Okay. I was not aware of that.
1: Yeah. Um, Phil Tippett, you know, a name that you know very, very well. Um, Yes. He's the guy responsible for what we've been talking about today in this sequence, and he actually joined the project in 1990. Now, obviously, he didn't work on it all the way through, but he signed up for it. Even before he worked on Jurassic Park, he signed up to do it, OK? Um, and during that gestation time of the script, you know, um, the script went through many changes, and of course, if you're talking about from 1990 up until 1997, that's a seismic shift in the way that film special effects were done. With absolutely, you know, CGI coming along, and the benchmark uh, film Jurassic Park, which of course he was working on. Okay, um, and but apparently, when he first came on board in those very early 1990s, all the special effects were going to be either stop motion. Or puppetry for the bugs, okay? Okay. But then everything changed in 1993 uh, when Jurassic Park opened and was this smash hit, and you know everybody could see that done properly and done well. CGI can be used for movie special effects.
0: And that was always frustrating to me as well when it was sort of the the death of practical effects was heralded because there's still a ton of mm. practical effects in that film.
1: Yeah, I mean, and now, you know, with modern filmmaking now, films being made even now, physical effects haven't gone away. Practical effects have not gone away, you know. Um, uh, have you seen the, the the latest Wes Anderson film, uh, The Isle of Dogs? I have not. Oh, Jeff, see it. it, it it's a terrific film. It's a, I can't say anything, cause I, I say anything because I don't want to say anything because I don't want to give anything away. But it's a terrific film. The whole film, the whole film is stop-motion animation. you you, you know uh, an an hour and 45 film is all real stop motion animation and it's kind of like the
0: fantastic mr fox right
1: yes very much so very much so but technology has come on an awful lot since then um and it's brilliant i'm not going to say anything else actually that would be a good subject for this show sometime in the future seek it out jeff watch it and maybe you and i will do an episode on it sometime i
0: will i'll just warn you i'm pretty hit or miss on uh on uh stop motion? No.
1: Wes Anderson. Director,
0: Wes Anderson, thank you. I'm I'm pretty hey. hit or miss on Wes Anderson. I loved uh I loved Rushmore.
1: Right. And
0: I loved uh the Grand Budapest Hotel. Everything else, I can kind of take her leave. I so, think you'll be alright. I, I, I did
1: like the Fantastic Mr. Fox though, so I will give Isle of Dogs a chance. I think you'll be alright then. I think you'll be alright. Yeah. Alright. Okay. So yeah, yeah. Um Jurassic Park changed everything and much like Jurassic Park, what Phil Tippett was doing here was yes, you've got a whole bunch of CGI, but for the the they were using full size physical uh, parts of the bugs for the slower close up scenes, weren't they?
0: Yes, and, and and it and it works.
1: Yes, and it, yeah. you know, and,
0: and the, the yeah, for the most part, it's it's fairly difficult to tell when we've gone from CG to, or at least to me, it was hard to tell when we got from CG to practical. And you you sort of assumed at some point, especially you know based on the size of the uh the creature you sort of assumed, but it was really sort of difficult to tell at times
1: yeah, yeah. which is
0: a, which is a credit to everyone involved
1: yeah phil Phil he developed something called the did, okay the did is digital input device, okay which allows an animator to have physical control over a CG model in real time. So, you know, you have a CG uh, creature and you can manipulate it and operate it in real time. So whatever you do, it happens instantly, okay? And uh that's what they started off with, okay? Um They used it on Jurassic Park, they used it again on Tremors 2, and each time they were doing it, Tippett Studios, you know, they were refining it and refining it. So when they came to actually do Starship Troopers, they were pretty uh, used to the idea, and it had improved muchly, okay? Um, yes. Now, the way the bugs actually moved, that was dictated to by the design of the bugs. And I we haven't really talked about the bugs, but the bugs, I love the way that they are just like this, a tiny head with a massive mouth on legs. That's basically all it is, isn't it?
0: Yeah, you, they don't... They look like every bug you've ever seen and then no bug you've ever seen at the same time.
1: Yeah, yeah. They are a bug, but like a, no bug you've ever seen before. Right. Aren't they? Yeah. They're not the spider type, you, you know, a lunatic's idea of a spider described in the book. But these are terrific. I love... Have you seen close-ups of, of, like, you know, the bugs themselves about how they their tiny little eyes are behind their mouths, you know, and their head is quite small in relation to this, you know, their open mouth type pointy thing that they've got for the rest of the head Terrific yeah it, it's design. wonderful
0: it's wonderful and the uh you know the uh, oh. the brain the the, the the hive mind or whatever the brain bug that design is disgusting and
1: phenomenal and again i mean most of the times you see the brain bug i mean when it's being pulled out of the cave i'm trying to ignore that phone going off right thank you um when when it's pulled out the cave at the end yes that's cgi but all the close up bits you know i mean that is full size they had actually made the full size one and when the brain bug you know does its spike thing into the person's head to you know to read them and everything you know that's all all full size practical effects isn't it it is
0: and and again anytime they stab somebody in the head it just oh it's 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 <laughs> gruesome in in all the right ways
1: yeah yeah. But as I say, I mean, uh, they had to animate it dictated by, you know, what the actual creatures look like. Um, but also they did tons of research, uh, including watching lots of documentaries on uh, various insects and bugs, you see. So they were they were taking lots of cues from real life to actually animate it.
0: They were. And, and I, I love that uh, Paul Verhoeven actually considers Phil Tippett a co-director on the battle sequences yes, Yes. because of all the work that he did.
1: And there was a ton of work. I mean, when they first started doing um, some of these shots that we've got here, they were so complicated, okay? Um, Film goes through a projector at 24 frames a second, okay? Um, Some of these shots were so complicated, it was taking up to 32 hours to do one frame, okay? So 32 hours to create one 24th of a second of film,
0: you know? yeah. You're not going to make you're not going to make your deadline at that
1: rate. You're not going to make your deadline. So to try and simplify things and speed these up, there was a guy by the name of Darby Johnson. He developed a system uh, of rendering background bugs. Okay, and basically what they did is they made a single bug and animated it. But then they they came out with a computer algorithm, which would make that bug interact with other copies of itself. Okay. So then you can generate tons of these in the background and there's an algorithm so they all interact and, you know, move over and around each other. That's what's happening on in the background. And like you say, when, when we first see them, they look across and you've got this mass, you don't really see shapes and forms. You just see the mass moving and that's exactly what that is there. And that sped things right up to, they, they got it down from 32 hours per frame to roughly about 18 hours so they almost halved it by doing almost that. half yeah still and, a and bloody it, and long it's very,
0: time it's a bloody long time but it is very effective because yeah. it makes it makes it look like they're all moving in unison not necessarily yes. as one but they're moving in unison and it's 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 creepy
1: mm, very much so especially like yourself if you've got a thing about bugs um if you're scared of bugs uh maybe it wasn't a bad idea that you didn't go and see this when you were 21 on your birthday
0: and that's probably a big reason why and it's also probably a good thing that they did uh do the filming during the day because if doing it at night it would have looked even creepier
1: yeah my i think this might be my last digression of the day have you ever heard of stephen king's theory why we are scared of spiders or why people are scared of spiders i don't know right According to Stephen King, he thinks that spiders are not of this Earth. They are actually aliens, okay? I'll buy that. And the reason people are scared of them is, on an instinctive animal level, people who are scared of spiders don't like them because they know that they're not of this Earth. It makes perfect sense to me. If you're scared of spiders, you're more in contact with your animal self than me, who hasn't got a problem with them,
0: or maybe one of us is an alien.
1: Yeah, if, yeah. If you're not scared of spiders, you're on their side. You could be an alien. Exactly. Soon. Exactly. All right. So you're you're a true human, and I'm not.
0: That's that's what I'm saying here. I think that's the All only right. possible explanation.
1: Okay. So so we've come up with the whole idea about Roald Dahl ripping off Robert Heinlein and everything, and also the fact that I'm I'm alien and you're not. Yes. Alright, okay. And Fair also
0: enough. possibly ripping off Roll Dahl, so.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Maybe Roald Dahl was an alien. That would make sense. Yeah. No, no, there's a spider in James and the Giant Peach. No, he likes spiders. Yeah. Alright. Now, alright. Uh, Tibbet Studios. Tibbet Studios, okay. Uh, their responsibilities didn't just end with the bugs. Uh, they were also uh, given the job of creating all the particle effects, including the tanker bug spray that we've seen in this sequence. Okay. All right. And they used, uh, they, they looked at a lot of lava footage for reference uh, for it. It wasn't supposed to be lava, but it was meant to have that sort of consistency. So that's why they were looking at that. Okay. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah, but they actually shared the job. It was between Tippett Studios and Sony Imageworks, okay? Um, The Tippett Studio designed the plasma blast in Dynamation, um, and then when Sony needed the blast in their shots, they gave them all the data, okay? So basically what what happens is um, when you see any sort of plasma coming out of those uh, tanker bugs, okay, when you see it emerging from the rear end, of the bug, okay. That's Phil Tippett. When you see it flying through the air, that's Sony, okay.
0: That's that's really interesting. Hmm. One 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 production company started it. The other production company finished it, continued yeah. and finished it. That's that's very interesting. But it all but it all works.
1: Yeah, it's 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 fairly seamless. It is seamless. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if you know that, if you go back and watch that now, you can't really see the join. It, it, no, it, it's not jarring. No, not at all. Hmm. Yeah. That's it. That's all my behind the scenes. Have you got anything else, Jeff?
0: No, no, that was that was pretty much it for me. Again, uh I was just uh just uh, amused that the the thing that amused me the most was that it started out as a completely unrelated script and they retrofitted it uh, around the uh around the the film. And and that's worked in the past. Hmm. Die Hard 2, Die Harder. And Die Hard with a Vengeance are both based on films that are, had nothing to do with John McClane or books that mm-hmm. had nothing to do with John McClane, and they made it work. And I, you know, I think, on I think this works on some level, but uh, again, for me, did, I, I just didn't really care for the characters.
1: No, I, and that's I, where I it th- fell th- apart for me. Yeah, I think what I'll say is it's a it's a good introduction if you like to Starship Troopers, but if you want to know more. Read the novel because the novel is, is much, much more deeper than this and much more involved and much more entertaining than this film, okay? As I say, um, this is all spectacle with no character. In the book, you've got spectacle and character, okay?
0: And that's the key. That's the combination that I need. It
1: is the key. Now, I, I, I was wondering, maybe now do you think is the time to actually do a new version do Starship Troopers again, but true to the novel. I think that might be fun. I think that might be good. I, I think
0: so, and I think it could work if you get it, give it to the right filmmaker. maker, give it to like a, a Neil Blomkamp, or um, oh, which yeah. is funny because he's uh, funny. They just announced this week that he'll be directing the RoboCop reboot. So yes. maybe I should be a little more uh, a little more creative in my thinking on that. But that was the first name that came to mind, um, or somebody like a uh, you know who actually. Who I would love to see direct a film like this is someone like uh, Guillermo del Toro. The problem mm. is I think he would get so caught up in making the bugs as gruesome as possible yeah. he would forget to do anything with the human characters.
1: That's exactly what I was thinking. He's going to focus everything on making these uh, aliens as alien as possible. And you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to be um, focusing on the on the human side. And the yes, humans, yeah. Yeah, Neil Blomkamp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I can see him doing that. He he he's got a track record of of making science fiction films where you have, you know, characters that you care about. So yeah, no, that's a blooming good idea. Well, there you go. With 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 decent actors in it as well that you care about. Right. You need that as well. Yeah.
0: Oh, and if you get and if you get, you know, Blomkamp, you've got actors that want to work with him. So
1: yeah. 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 Okay. It, All work. Right. it it could work. So let's see what happens. All right, what about a rating then, Jeff? What do you reckon?
0: What is our scale again? One to what?
1: One to ten. One being... <laughs> we've been talking about Robocop all the way through this today. But, uh, yeah, uh, uh, one of the number ones at the bottom, which is the worst special effect you've ever seen, is Dick Jones's death in Robocop. All right? And... 10 is the best you've ever seen. We've been mentioning Star Wars a lot. Uh, One of the uh, 10s at the top is the opening of Star Wars A New Hope. So where does this sequence sit between Dick Jones falling off that building to the Tanta V4 coming over your head?
0: I would say this sequence alone, I would give it, for the effects, I would give it an 8 because I do think they're phenomenal Minus, you know, I, even even so good that I don't even mind the the horrible, you know, head explosion. Mm. Uh, storytelling wise, I would rate it a bit lower. I would give it closer to a five. So I would say overall, I would rate this a seven a on that seven. one to ten scale. Uh, but, and again, that's not that's not uh, necessarily how I felt about the film overall. But this particular sequence, yeah, I really was sequence, impressed with. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I'm matching you in a seven. Um, That's exactly what I've got written down here because you know it's good fun. You know the bugs are great, but it's nothing special. It's above average, but yeah, no, I I thought seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going for a seven with you, okay? All right, all right, okay. Well, that's the show over. So thank you for today, there, Jeff.
0: Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me back on, and thank you for you know finally giving me a a, a reason. To just go ahead and watch this movie, so I could shut all my friends up about it.
1: I didn't know. I didn't know. I just assumed you've been a science fiction fan. You've been the age you are. Everybody's seen Star <laughs> Trek. A- everybody is always surprised
0: that I- it's funny. I've got a few blind spots in my in, in my, uh, experience, and they're always the ones that nobody expects. All right. So, What's yeah.
1: another blind spot in your in, in your uh, experience that you wouldn't mind uh, researching and looking into, and we'll do that for your next one.
0: Can oh oh one? Um, Well, as far as special effects films, um, I've never seen Lady Hawk.
1: That's an interesting choice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
0: right. well, that's the first one that came to mind. Somebody had asked me the day when I said something about Starship Troopers. I said, "Oh, you seen Lady Hawk, though, right?" I was like, "Actually, no, I've never seen Lady Hawk." And I don't know. Again, I don't. I don't know that that's necessarily an effects-heavy film, but that's the first one that came to mind.
1: That is very odd that somebody goes from Starship Troopers to Lady Hawk. There is a connection because uh, Paul Verhoeven did a terrific medieval film called Flesh and Blood, which had Rutger Hauer in, um, um, who of course is the star of Lady Hawk. But I haven't watched Lady Hawk since it was out in the cinema. So if we're going to do that, I've got to do some research now as well because I've seen it once. <laughs> so maybe that's. And I've seen it zero. Right well maybe that will be the one then because what I mean what what year was that that must've been about I think it was 86. 83 maybe oh no I don't know it was a bit later than that because I think flesh and flesh and blood Oh, might maybe flesh and blood came after lady hawk maybe it, it was certainly mid 80s um and I've watched it 85 once. 85 it was 85 right right okay and uh, and i'll
0: tell you the other film, the other film that everybody was talks about which i've seen but i've only seen once and i didn't really watch it that closely was excalibur
1: all right we're doing excalibur then because okay. I, I, that's one of my favorite all-time films i i all sort right. of
0: thought that it might be and so when i would it when it popped to mind i was like I, yeah that's one again i've i have watched it but i wouldn't say i've seen it if that makes
1: sense Ooh. oh no 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 right okay right stuff lady hawk uh, we're doing excalibur because <laughs> okay. it's it's one of my absolute favorite films absolutely absolutely I, the, the only uh, question is think of a sequence all right leave it with me i'll let you know the sequence and next time yeah we're going arthurian okay okay got it
0: all
1: right thanks for today then jeff
0: thank you uh, eric thank you for having me on i've enjoyed <laughs> it every time I enjoy it every time
1: all right excellent all right to be continued all right all right Cheers, Jeff. Bye-bye.